Is it true that there is still a gender gap in the technology industry? Well, one study by Tech Radius in 2020 saw that the ratio of men to women in engineering is 5 to 1. Even more striking, a study by Built-in saw that only a quarter of jobs in technology were held by women in 2021. So, let's be real. The stats around women in technology today are not great. But there is some good news, and it looks to our future. According to TechCrunch, last year, 74% of girls who were surveyed expressed a desire for a career in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The numbers show that women want to work in STEM, but there's a clear barrier here. What is it that's turning that massive percentage of girls with a keen interest in technology into such a small group of professionals? Today, I'm joined by one tech leader whose exciting and successful career in technology has also led her to some of the answers. Don Armstrong is head of IT and mission operations at ABL Space Systems, and throughout her career in engineering and technology, she's been on the front lines of the type of innovation that is changing our world as we know it. She was a key decision maker behind the impressive Virgin Hyperloop technology, and in her newest role at ABL Space Systems, Dawn also comes with some unique insights for tech leaders across all industries who are as obsessed with innovation as she is. So how important is it to create an inclusive technology landscape, and how can a tech leader's focus on DE&I impact the world as we know it? To unpack it all, Dawn Armstrong joins me now. Dawn, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here, Erica. Thanks for inviting me. So Dawn, your role as a technology leader is super impressive. So I want to know, what got you here in the first place? Like, what was your interest in engineering like as a kid? Oh, goodness. Well, originally I wanted to be a doctor. As I got into high school, I was really interested in computers and I convinced my dad to co-sign a $3,000 loan for an Apple Mac. And I dived deep into building computers and ended up earning some extra money, tutoring some of the teachers on basic programming. And then I went to university. Uh, Instead of pre-med, I went into computer science and loved every minute of it. You know, what's what's the old adage? Do what you love and never work a day in your life. Yeah, that's awesome. And did you pay your dad back for the uh, $3,000 co-sign? Oh, you betcha. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you probably paid it back in lessons and teaching them. So one of your first jobs, I understand, in tech was being hired by your uncle. So tell me about the role and what your first real job in tech was like. Did you ever get a sense that your uncle treated you any differently as a woman in tech or even as family, maybe over some of the colleagues? Yes, it was it was really exciting. You know, I lived in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and uh, my uncle lived in Los Angeles. You know, he asked me to come down to LA and write an inventory program during the summer. And no self-respecting Canadian is ever going to turn down a job to go to Hollywood. <laughs> so I, I packed two suitcases and never looked back. My uncle was a co-owner in this uh, in this telephone business, and he needed someone to program phone systems. And he taught me the ropes right from the ground up. And I ran cable, crawled under houses, crawled in attics, learned troubleshooting, did a lot of programming, did a lot of project management. My uncle definitely treated me differently. And 
But I believe that was really for family reasons and not from a female male perspective, in my opinion. Um, he was definitely hard on me. It built my character and frankly shaped who I am today. That's awesome. It's, I grew up in a family business. My father had a, a chain of retail stores. I got treated just like everybody else. And I would say even more so because there's certain jobs that I was assigned to do that I'm not sure others that weren't related were asked to do. <laughs> So I want to take some time to talk to you about all of the cool things you've been working on in your career. So let's start with Virgin Hyperloop. Before your new role at ABL as mission operations, I love that, you were leading a team that was building Hyperloop technology, essentially an underground vacuum sucking pods of people safely between two cities. So talk to me a little bit about that. Oh, you bet. It really has the potential to, to change the way we live and work globally, frankly. Like if you think about it, right, if I can get from Los Angeles to Las Vegas in 20 minutes, I can go there for dinner. And if you think about a, a world or even the U.S. and you think about a network of hyperloops, it really changes the way the entire economy works. You can live anywhere and work anywhere. And I think the pandemic has really shown us that that is absolutely feasible. And frankly, workers want that. They want that ability to work from anywhere, that work-life balance. And so that's what really got me excited about Hyperloop is that there's a chance here to change the world, right? One of the interesting projects the IT department was brought into was, so the Hyperloop, the test track that we had was 500 meters long and it's a steel tube and the passenger pod goes inside the tube. The tube is pumped down to vacuum. It's not necessarily underground. And at the very beginning, you push it with electromagnetics, right? The pod gets pushed down the track and because you're in vacuum, there's very little air resistance, right? So it just goes. But think about, like, how do you track that pod? It's an autonomous vehicle. How are you tracking where it is exactly? And then for passengers riding within the pod, you know, it's your God-given right to have wireless internet. How are you going to do that? So if you think of a steel tube and putting wireless in there, you're going to have a tremendous amount of signal bounce, shadowing. It's just a crazy amount of things to solve. And we were able to get across a lot of those challenges, getting in different products that IT wouldn't necessarily be looking at. That's how I really got into operational technology, which I think is um, a really exciting part of IT that, that IT people really don't touch at all. We learned a tremendous amount, and I'm really looking forward to doing similar work over at ABL Space. I know in your role there, you got to really flex your leadership muscles. So tell me a little bit about that leadership experience and what you learned from it that you're bringing over to your new role at ABL. Well, the end goal of a leader is really to lead, empower, and mentor yourself right out of a job. I worked hard to build that trust uh, throughout the entire IT team. And as that trust developed, you just see the productivity and the happiness, frankly, of the whole team, you know, begin to gel and move forward and they, they just gain momentum as they go. And 
Once you gain that trust, you're able to then add autonomy in there. And what happens is that people love autonomy. We hire professionals. These are people that know what they're doing. And so why not let them do it? So ABL is yet another really innovative space to be working in. So tell me about the technology you're building there. Tell me about the teams you're leading. Well, we are, you know, we're not putting people in a rocket, so we're a little bit different there. Uh, it's a low Earth orbit satellite launching platform. You know, your your typical startup, I really feel that that, you know, you come up to about 150 employees 250 employees. And as you hit these marks, the things that the company needs become very different. So at a certain point, you're going to need an HR team to take care of things. You're going to need more integration between your procurement and your inventory and your purchase orders and payment systems. It's just fascinating to me how these things continue to, to evolve. And depending on, on the startup itself, especially when they're in a major growth spurt, if you're hiring 10, 12, 15 people a week, that's crazy for an IT department. And you had better have automation in place. You know, you really want that to be dialed in. It's really an exciting, fast paced, constant change environment. You know, startups aren't for everyone. And if you can see that opportunity and then capitalize on it, you'll move your career forward pretty quickly. So there's a lot of great intelligent women out there and clearly a lot of interest. One study shows that last year, 74% of girls who were surveyed expressed a desire for a career in STEM. That's a lot of interest. So what's your reaction to that? So that is an amazing statistic, and, and I like to think that some of that interest has been fueled by current women in STEM. And, you know, I was involved in the Girls in Tech LA movement, and and I think it opened so many girls' eyes to what they can do. There's just no end to what you can do if you just put your mind to it. And that had to be constantly reiterated to them. You know, they would literally say to to us, but I'm, I'm afraid to speak out or I get very nervous and I feel that, you know, this boy is better in math than I am. So I don't want to raise my hand. And it just opened their eyes. And it was absolutely awesome to see that. I'm so inspired by Dawn's passion and just blown away by the type of technology that she's worked on. It's so cool. But I can't help but think that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of incredible creative women out there who could be changing our world just like Dawn. But there are barriers keeping them from getting there. Why are the numbers still so low for women in the technology space? Well, I reached out to some of my colleagues at SoftChoice to hear what they think. I only joined this industry in mid-2017, and if you had asked me five to six years ago whether I would have considered a career in tech, I may have reflexively responded with a quick no, because I just did not have any awareness to the wide breadth of opportunities available in this space. I wish young girls knew that they could do anything boys can do. Unfortunately, society still makes young girls feel like their only goal in life should be to have babies and take care of their families. 
Boys are groomed at a very young age to be leaders and innovators, and girls aren't given the same messaging. I think the opportunities that are available now need to start getting introduced and planted at younger stages in elementary so that children aren't limited to just aspiring to becoming a ballerina or a detective when they grow up. Those were my younger dreams. Well, when I was an e-commerce account manager for a consumer electronics distributor about 15 years ago, a male senior vice president invited me to go to lunch with him. Uh, when I got back, people in the office were gossiping about it. It wouldn't have been an issue if I was a man. Many times I have often found myself to be the one female in a group of 10 and on some occasions the men of the group, regardless of leadership position, would turn to perhaps a male colleague of mine or just anybody else in the room for validation or confirmation. And my opinion was often sought as the last resort. It's not a great feeling to feel invisible, but I have found myself in this position many a times and I don't always confront it because I want to maintain peace or the client relationship. Recent research shows that women hold less than 20% of all leadership positions in technology. And around 72% of the female tech workforce feel constantly outnumbered in business meetings. And there's a quit rate of women in technology that's almost twice as high as men. What are some of your thoughts when you hear those? Well, true, true, true. First of all, I have sat in meetings. I'm the only woman in the room. And, you know, there'll be an account manager from, from some vendor, maybe a sales engineer, maybe an architect, and we'll be sitting around the table talking and I'm the one that set up the meeting, right? And my Outlook signature says vice president of information technology. And we'll have this conversation and they won't look at me. Wow. They'll be looking at my two male counterparts. I think for the first year or so, you know, I just kind of let it slide. And one day I just snapped and I stood up and I said, you should be talking to me. I'm the one in this room that's, that's going to cut your PO. And I think you need to leave. Wow. Pretty powerful. So maybe I was just having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's interesting though, because growing up in my dad's business, people used to come in with their radio control cars and had 7.2 volt batteries. And when you're like 11 years old, your father trains you how to solder wires, right? Because I, I also had no brothers. So I like that was my that was my gig. And I remember dads coming in with their young boys. And they would talk to my father the whole time, they wouldn't talk to me, even though I'm the one actually like changing it, you know, tinning the wires, you know, putting on some heat shrink and you know, get the little blow gun out and we're all good. And even though it's me handing it back to them, they still conversed entirely with my father. Absolutely. It's it's amazing, isn't it? It's absolutely amazing. So Don, this conversation is extremely timely, because we're also living in a time of the great resignation, where people have less tolerance for parts of their workplace that make them feel uncomfortable or anxious, and even not seeing growth in their careers. So how do you see the great resignation impacting women in the tech space? While you were asking me that question, what immediately popped into my head was I went to Black Hat for the first time in March of 2021. I was at a cocktail party with, of course, mostly men. It was quite crowded. There was a group of three women gathered around a little table, and they were quietly talking amongst themselves, and there was no other place for, for uh, me to even move, so I asked them if I could join them. 
and they were talking about how each of them had a story passed over for promotion has been in the same job for a while and wasn't really happy felt they were underpaid compared to their counterparts you know the the absolutely typical typical things that you hear and you read in in the news right you know through through that that time that we spent together you know i talked to them about we are in a period where cybersecurity professionals are desperately needed everywhere. Why are you settling for less money? Why are you settling for not the title that you deserve? You have the certifications to back it up. You need to go for it. And I got a LinkedIn message from one of the gals about two weeks later that said that she moved companies. She had the courage to to go in and a apply for a a couple other jobs and she got a $30,000 raise. That's a significant life-changing event. It's it's amazing. So when I wear my my talent acquisition hat, we know that women will read a job description and as she goes through it, she'll be like, oh, I don't think I'm great at that. Oh, I don't think I'm so good. Oh, I did that once. And as a result, we'll talk ourselves out of actually putting ourselves forward and taking those risks. So that's a great story because it's about the courage, right? And it's about believing in yourself and believing that you're worth it. And in today's market where skills are so hot and hard to find, that's great advice. Yeah, and it, and it's absolutely true, Erica. We've been talking about that for several years about how women, you know, 90 they have to hit 90% or so of of the of the items and I'm on a I'm, I'm on a bunch of Facebook mentoring groups for cybersecurity and technology for women and you know those questions come up all the time. You know, should I apply for this job? Yes. The answer is always yes. Absolutely apply for the job. We all know what we're capable of. We just have to jump in and go for it. So the ultimate question, would you say there's a difference between a CIO who's a man and a CIO who's a woman? I mean, let's face it, men and women are different. They usually approach situations differently. I would like to think that there should be no difference. It's true that growing up in the tech space, I definitely had to learn to maneuver in ways that men do not. When I would go to job sites and I would be the subject matter expert and I would go into a room to resolve an issue and the room was filled with men, each of those situations, you have to learn how to navigate it and you have to learn to read the room incredibly quickly so that you can tailor the way you're going to address that situation. You know, sometimes you have to approach things or I had to approach things in a more aggressive manner and other times in a softer manner. That really, really lends itself to developing my whole management style, my whole leadership style. I've been very fortunate to have uh, recently get a a CIO mentor and, and be in a CIO group that's pretty much all men. They're very supportive of women in that space. I would consider them allies. You know, women talk a lot about having male allies. I never really even considered that before, but I am finding that that's very helpful. I love it. What would your advice be for tech leaders across the industry who are not or may not be having this conversation yet? How important is it and where do they start to make their organization more diverse and more inclusive? 
Well, I'm, I'm really proud to, to say that at Virgin Hyperloop, I had the lowest attrition rate of any department and the highest diversity percentages of the entire organization. But that did not come without a tremendous amount of effort on my part. You know, you can throw some job links up on LinkedIn or Indeed or wherever, and you're going to get whoever applies. The way to drive some sort of equity in the percentage of applicants from a gender perspective is you have to go out and put that out there in different forms. You know, some women-only forums. Uh, I do a lot of mentoring uh, in the cybersecurity space and in the IT space. You know, I put it out to the mentors. Hey, we, we have this opportunity available. Encourage your mentees to apply. You have to definitely work harder in order to get candidates. And I think you also have to demonstrate that you're an organization that would welcome, embrace, foster, and grow that talent as well. Absolutely. Absolutely, Erica Wilson. Well, Don, it's been a pleasure. I thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. I've learned a lot, and I still think your job is super cool. I want to thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Erica. I've been in the tech industry for over 20 years. I've seen very little change when it comes to gender inequality. If we want to see any serious change, it needs to start at the top with CIOs and IT leadership. They need to make more of an effort to look beyond any unconscious bias and make inclusivity a priority. Thanks for checking out our last episode of Season 3 of The Catalyst by SoftChoice. As the team and I work on bringing another season to life, I want to remind you that if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or tell a friend or tech leader that it's time to subscribe to this podcast. The Catalyst by SoftChoice is a Pilgrim content production in collaboration with SoftChoice. Our producers are Tobin Dalrymple and Katie Lohr. Our associate producer is Jessica Schmidt with production assistance from Nicole Francis. I'm Erica Van Nort. Talk to you again soon. <laughs>